Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Professional Insight Podcast, Season 3, Episode 1. I didn't think that we'd actually last this long. Uh, My name's Brandon Curry. I'm Jeff Collins. I'm Josh Bond. And Trevor Lindy. We have a special guest with us for the next two episodes, actually, gentlemen. Um, To our listeners, you would have heard him. Uh, Now you can see him. Uh Uh-oh. Uh, Henry Ke- Henry Keeler. Hey, hi. how's it going? Hi, hi. Uh, and and guys, something something's actually changed with Henry uh, since the last time we saw him. Uh, he's actually been retired for the last eighteen months. Nice. So, congratulations! congratulations. Yeah. Retired from full time employment. I don't know if retirement full time, but it's been good. It's been so, good has change. it added years to your life or taken away years from your life being retired? Uh. You know what? I, I think it's uh, it's added a few, but then the market crash, uh, the, the pullback, <laughs> that kind of added a few gray hairs. That's for sure. I didn't see that in my in my immediate future. Yeah, you didn't predict uh, someone eating a bat in China and then shutting down the no, entire it, world. It wasn't in my uh, oh, in my scenarios. <laughs> Shame on you, Henry. <laughs> yeah. I guess my crystal uh, ball wasn't for... quite working the way I wanted it to be. Yeah, and just to put that into perspective, how old were you when you retired? Uh, I was uh, 52. Nice work. Good for you. Congrats. I'd like to think that that was all because of C.R. Smith Financial. And uh, no, I'm joking. He did it himself. It had nothing to do with us. It had nothing to do with us. Um, so, Henry, you're an avid listener of our podcast. Thanks very much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And um, you, like you said, you're not fully retired. You're actually doing quite a bit of stuff on the side. One of them, because a lot of people don't realize that you're actually a, a chartered accountant uh, as well as part of your designations. Um, and you are doing some tax filing and tax preparation um, uh, while you, you know, while you're puttering around, just you know, trying to find out what your next gig's going to be. Um, so, but you, you brought up some really interesting. Um, topics that you really want to discuss that that uh, that you've encountered and one of them you you had a, a situation with with bondo that we were, we were going to try to chat in that out which was um putting a cottage was it putting a cottage in in in, in joint or you want to explain yeah the situation? i've seen that this uh this tax season seemed to be the highlight of some uh unfortunate date of death tax returns i've had a few friends that have lost parents um and in one scenario with a friend of mine back in in sault Ste. marie uh, her father passed away in 2019, and in, in, in preparing his date of death tax return, one of the things that I came across was the fact that his wife, unfortunately, passed away 15 plus years ago. When she passed away, he ended up switching the ownership of his home as well as his camp. Um, you know, up north, it's a camp and not a cottage, but switched the ownership of the two properties into joint name with his daughter. Now, a lot of people get to do, you know, do some of that tax planning because they hear that that's going to avoid probate, you know, the one and a half percent tax on, on probate. The challenge that you come up with is the fact that it's in joint ownership, you know, legally it is owned by both him and his daughter. And now you take a look at it from the point of view of, okay, when you pass away, you're deemed to dispose of all your assets. So he was deemed to dispose of his house as well as his his camp. And the the challenge that we were having is, okay, if it's in joint names now, does he get 100% of the principal residence exemption? 
right? Because having the, the, the house in joint names now, she theoretically owns 50% of it. He owns 50% of it. And therefore, you know, at that point in time where that, where that house was switched into joint ownership, he no longer gets 100% ownership of 100% principal residence exemption. So for the sake of trying to save that one and a half percent at death may have potentially cost him claiming the principal residence exemption on the capital gain on the house. So let's just put that into a, a, like a simple, you know, uh, um, scenario for everyone that's listening. So uh, at the time of the wife's passing, um, the, the, the principal residence, the home, which normally would be, there's the principal residence exemption. You would not be taxed on any capital gain on the, the principal residence. Let's just say 15 years ago it was worth $250,000. Um, if he would have kept that right until death and would have left it to his daughter, then let's say in today's day to today, it's worth 500,000 and it's flowing through so that would flow through tax-free. There's no tax implications. And yes, there would be a one and a half percent probate to deal with the principal residence, which would be about, well, $7,500 thereabouts, right? In taxes owed versus 15 years ago, you put your daughter on at the $250,000 mark. You, it grew an additional 250,000, only 125,000 because you only own 50% of it is tax-free. The other 125,000 is now subject to terminal tax. Well, term. no, it, it's Correct? going to be taxed in the daughter's hands when, when she right. ultimately sells it. But the challenge is she has a principal residence of her own and you're only able to claim one property as a principal residence. So when she, when they sell that property and she has that 50% interest, you know, that $125,000 of accumulated growth is going to be taxed in her hands. Um, and so, Let's say her marginal tax bracket is forty percent, right? You're you're looking you're looking at what ninety thousand? No, wait, one hundred twenty-five thousand. You're looking at what about fifty fifty-five thousand dollars a tax? Right. You know, so for the sake of trying right. to save the one and a half percent. Yeah. So I mean, I'll chime in a little bit uh, just to comment on the the fact pattern or scenario itself. I mean, I think the real interest uh, in terms of it estate planning should be to be looking at what the beneficiaries um, intentions with these assets are as well because if the daughter plans on holding on to it and otherwise living in it as her primary residence say for for example then there, there's no issue she sells her primary residence she gets her tax exemption for primary residence moves into the father's property as the joint tenant at that point in time and then can continue on with that property as her principal residence. And there's no tax consequence to anybody. Right. Right. So it's really, really what you have to be looking at as well when you're, you're, you're estate planning is the intention of the beneficiaries with the asset as well after the happening, uh, you know, the person passes away. One way that you can kind of circumvent things a little bit or, or express them differently is to put the daughter on as a trustee, right? So if you put the daughter on right. as a trustee and you're entering into a form of a trust agreement, then the daughter is only, and it, again, it depends on the way that the, the trust agreement is worded, 
the daughter can become the beneficial owner of that property, or she can stay on as in her capacity as a trustee, meaning that she she sells the property on behalf of the estate. But the fact of them being on as joint tenants, it goes to her in her capacity as trustee first and foremost. Then she can float through the assets. But that having been said, even in those circumstances, if a bank requires you to probate, then I think the, the prudent thing to do would be to re, re, uh, report that that asset was sold as well as an estate asset. Right. So what was the solution that you ended up doing, Henry? Well, we, we took the approach um, that that the daughter was really only on title as, as that trustee, that he still had 100% beneficial ownership and it was just for legal purposes, for administrative. Um, and so for tax purposes, we reported that he had 100% of the capital gains, a principal residence exemption on that. Um, and she, she did have to do probate on the will because there was a bank account that was over, over the threshold of the bank's comfort. Um, yeah. And so I told her when she talks to the lawyer to make sure that the house gets included as probate, saying that that was his asset. So it, it's not foolproof. Right. Um, you know, because there is no document to support, you know, her being that, that trustee, but clearly he what, was the 100% the, the beneficial owner of the, of the property. What I would do, Henry, to, to paper your file is just prepare like a, a one-page affidavit that she signs off saying that she has always, always ever acted as a trustee. She's never, she's never contributed money to the property itself. It had always been uh, that she was on as a trustee for estate planning purposes and that it's dad's primary residence. She signs off with that and then. Yeah, and I mean, this kind of brings, brings forward the, you know, the, the question that a lot of times the banks really recommend, oh, just put things into joint ownership. And, you know, in this example, she was a sole daughter, so it didn't complicate things, but you get a lot of other situations where, you know, yeah, an asset gets put into joint ownership with one child, and then there's two or three others in the wings. And what happens when the parent passes away? You know, there have been countless number of, of cases that, that go to that go to the courts because the one child that has been put on title, all of a sudden it's like, well, no, you know, mom or dad meant this property to come to me and the other two or three children. It's like, no, you were just there facilitating it. And, you know, when, yep. when a parent passes away, you know, then all the, the raw nerves and feelings come forth and the parent isn't there to kind of be the referee you know and, it, and it, a lot of people you know feel the loss you know and, and take it through you know on the financial side and say no that, that should be us and, and you know the emotions take over and that's where you get all these court cases and you know the only people that tend to win are people like josh because of the legal fees and you know hmm. in, in the court case you know what you know what you funny, uh, funny you mentioned that it, it, it Practicing a state law, which I, I have done previously, uh, I mean, we've got John who will probably be on the later episode, uh, um, who's doing the bulk of our estate stuff now. But uh, I mean, it changed my outlook about uh, the world. It really genuinely changed my outlook mm. about the world and about people in general, and, and and how people who you would think would have the the natural strongest love and bond for one another really it's ugly. It's gets ugly. ugly 
ugly, ugly, ugly. See, see, I've got a situation coming up right now. I'm going to talk to you, Curry, and Trevor. I think I'm going to talk to you, Josh, about it, too. We're selling my grandmother's house coming up, and it's been getting prepared for market for a while now. Now, my grandmother's still alive, and she's given power of attorney to my mother. And let's say the house is worth about $650,000. And really what they want to do is split it up between the three children. But I already know that there's, there could be issues coming up from, I have no idea, like with will contested and all that, but this is prior to someone passing away. So I'm not, you know, I've talked to you guys a couple of times about what we should do at this point. They just want to sell it because it's been sitting vacant for five years and now it's fixed up and all that. But this is a situation we might get into right now. Yeah. I mean, I think, Oh, it, it, it gets, it gets, it gets ugly. Like, I mean, and we, and you know, when, you know, Henry, you've sat in on a couple of financial planning uh, sessions with myself and um, you know, you and I both tackled one of the most, uh, we won't say the client's name, but one of the most uh, uh, complicated wills you've ever seen. Um, and definitely Doug had, had ever seen. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's pretty, you know, the T's were crossed, the I's were dotted and thank goodness. But my God, uh, as the executor of that particular client is, um, it's a 10 year estate, 10 years. And it's, uh, she gets headaches every is it single better to year. Know this it's, is a power of attorney right now. Who's got a sole power of attorney or as an executor after, you know, it sounds bad saying it, but executor better as an executor than a power of attorney. I wouldn't touch it. I mean, sell the property. Fine. Don't yeah. touch the, don't touch the wealth unless the, less the the mother is, is genuinely directing it in my opinion because once you start doing that if you've got one of the people that are contesting it amongst who say your mother as power of attorney is trying to distribute it hmm. you, you would need the consent of all the if you I get all, the, all the kids to sign off and say we want to split this three ways hmm. and then there's tax implications on that too i'd imagine right but is your but is your grandmother mentally? I, I don't think she so. Mentally... She's bedridden and all that. She's somewhat mentally split, but this is post stroke, like several there, strokes. In fact, again, I'll defer to the accountant. But from my perspective, I understand it that it, there'd be a tax advantage because there's not a tax on an intervivo gift, which you which is a, a gift that's given while somebody's living. So, right. grandma's not going to get taxed on it. She doesn't have her mental faculties right now. That doesn't. It, it's still her yeah. property. She, she, she. You don't need your mental faculties in order to sell a property. That's the power of attorney's power discretion. Power attorney's gonna do it, right? So, right. Yeah. I mean, so as long as there's a POA on file, that that house can be sold, and then it goes to her, and she can give that money however she however she yeah. deems fit. She deems fit. Split it three ways. That, I guess nobody can really fight that unless they want that, to. Right? No, you you can't. You you can't. You can't yeah. contest it. There's no way to okay. contest well, it. Well, I mean, it doesn't stop people from. The problem is it doesn't stop someone from contesting it, right? And that's where you get the emotions in place that someone feels right. they've been slighted, you know, and, and whether they really have a leg to stand on or not, the emotions get into place. And it's like, no, I'm going to contest this. And then everything halts to a to So you a, can a, contest a power of attorney direction then? Right. Yeah? Okay. That's interesting. You, yeah, you can contest anything, like yep. Henry said, but it's whether or not you have a leg to yeah. stand on, right? Okay. All right. That's it. Yeah, I, I've got a... I've got a property around the corner from where I live and, and I don't know what the true story is, but it's been sitting vacant, you know, at least five plus years, you know, and I, I keep hearing rumblings that, you know, that the owner has passed away and the kids just can't agree on, on what to do with the thing. And in the meantime, you know, one of my neighbors says, Oh yeah, there's raccoons going in the house now. And it's like, I just, 
it's an ugly situation. Yeah. Well, and you have to have vacant insurance on and all that too, because if something happens, it's different. Absolutely. All kinds of fun stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, I mean, in short, I don't, again, I would involve John a little bit uh, from the estate perspective, but. I see, we're not worried so much the values over the last five years, the the values have gone up crazy, right? Regardless of what shape it's in. So like in that case, it's good. You know, we're not losing anything on that, but at this point it's, we want to get rid of it. It's just, you know, like it's just sitting there doing nothing at this point, you know, it's been completely renovated. So we're ready to get her going. Just all these things about power of attorney and, and probate. And what you and what you want to make sure is uh, on the on the power of attorney though, some of them will state specifically that they're only to be activated or acted upon in the event of an incapacity. Yeah. Now, most most of the time, that's for the power of attorney for 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 mental health, but you, sometimes you see it in your power of attorney for property as well. And if that's the case, then you, you need essentially a determination from a doctor deeming that person. Well, your I'll send you and John the power of attorney paperwork. Yeah, yeah. Let's you yeah, don't just make it before sure. we pull triggers on anything. Yeah, hundred sure. percent. But, but I don't think it's going to happen. But once again, in family, you never know until it comes up, right? So, but other, but otherwise, as long as that is, it's it's a legitimate power of attorney. Grandma's otherwise incapacitated, or is given the direction to sell the property if she's not otherwise incapacitated or that hasn't otherwise authorized an original power of attorney. But if she has, then your mom's completely fine to do absolutely what she wants. That's always grandma's money. Yeah. Right. I mean, unless again, the power of attorney acts in grandma's best interest. Yeah. um, In in terms of a distribution, but we would take a little bit closer look at that too. Yeah, yeah, well, we need some money for her home and all that, right? Because well, that's more lodge five grand a month and all that, so it's not cheap. So absolutely, what it is. Yeah. All right, thanks, thanks for the answers, guys. Cheers. Is that your way of wrapping up this episode, uh, or? Oh, I, I just <laughs> yeah. <did. laughs> well, I mean, we do. Yeah, we do have a we do have a guest that you kind of hijacked. Oh, no, on. Yeah, it was something uh, relevant. Oh, I went off the tangent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Henry, I think that was a uh, I think that was a pretty good um, some some summarization of, of what was transpiring, yeah. right? Um, we, yeah, yeah I mean, but there's the, a trust. The, the, All right. I think the ultimate, the ultimate kind of gist is, you know, when you're going to do this type of planning, certainly reach out to the professional advisors to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and you're not going to cause adverse implications that, that are going to be far in excess of what you're trying to save. Yeah, trying to save right. 1.5 exactly. quite a bit more. Right. Yeah. 100%. And my, my number earlier, I kind of going through my head, it's not 50000 because only half of that $125,000 capital gain is taxable. So the tax bill would have been about 25000 But still, you know, you're looking at a $7,500 probate fee versus a $2,500 potential tax bill. Yeah, so half of the sixty two five roughly, yeah. eh? depending on where their, their marginal tax rate is that year. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks very much, Henry. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, always appreciate you coming on and uh, about hijacking. <laughs> and we will uh, we'll definitely. I think you're going to be on for one more episode because you had another really interesting topic that we wanted to, to sure. chat about. Nice. So thanks very much. Um, Help us. Thank you to Brand Boulevard. Ooh. Our uh, Brand Boulevard. Yeah, we got to. Yeah, Saint Glitch. Brand Boulevard. Thank you. Um, our sponsors, and we really appreciate it. Um, listen to everywhere that podcasts are played. Thanks very much. Help us help you stay informed.
Oh, Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 